0: Well, thank you, Brother Travis. Uh, I declare, uh, God just keeps piling on me this week. Uh, the things I hear and uh, what I have to follow, but I praise God for this week. Um, you know, I, I think I think the staff and and the church and everyone else, all the volunteers, would would uh, be okay with me. Saying, and you would join with me, uh, just the debt of gratitude we owe Mike Shelby for last week. Uh, and uh, 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 he gets up here thinking, folks, and I keep thinking, oh Lord, how I thank you for his oversight and leadership, and, and those preachers just loved him to death. Uh, I hope they fed you, brother. You spent enough time with them. Uh, um, but uh, uh, thank you for last week, and uh, thank you so much uh, for letting me be a part. Also, um, I uh, I am. Uh, I hope you you either go watch the podcast or order the CDs. I'm seriously thinking about ordering the CDs. Uh, but not necessarily for the preaching um, uh, and not for the singing, uh, but I, I think I'm going to get with Corey and maybe we we'll break them down and edit them. I'd like to make my own CD of a few of those. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Preach old brother. That's right. Get it. I'm with you. And when y'all kind of slow down, I'm going to reach under here and hit it. Well, if the choir can have a couple tapes, the preacher ought to be able to have one. Uh, uh, y'all don't slow up, though, do you? Uh, last week, I began a series of sermons. I told you I was going to take the days of the Passion Week uh, leading up to Easter that's in just in a few weeks. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at, at Sunday, uh, at least traditionally what was believed to be Sunday, Uh, What was called Palm Sunday, we're way out in front of it, but if I'm going to get some other days in before I get to Easter, today's a good day to begin with what we call Palm Sunday, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 42, Luke chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. Please stand with me as we look at the Word of God together. It says in this passage that, am I right here? 28 through 42. I kept looking down. Uh, that's what you, happens when you wear your contacts too many weeks past their expiration date. Uh, 28 through 42. It says, and when they had thus spoken, he went before, sending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage... And Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go you into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet neither man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, I like this, and I'm going to come back to this one, and found even as he had said unto them. In other words, it happened exactly like Jesus said it would. And as they were loosing the coat, the owners thereof said unto them, why lose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works. They had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And then when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, talking to Jerusalem, talking to the Jews, talking to Israel, saying, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this day, thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, which could be your peace, But now they are hidden from thine eyes. Father in heaven, I love you and I greet you in this hour. Thank you for everything that has gone before us in these days that have been such encouragement and uh, have built us up in the faith, Uh, have challenged us, charged us, uh, given us a new fire and zeal in so many ways. Uh, Father, uh, uh, help us to quench not the spirit and, and let the fire go out. Uh, Father, move forward. Be the, the soldiers of the cross that, that we should be. Bring us to the word. Help us to see, have a, even a greater and more wonderful vision of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As I've already mentioned in some ways, this event marks the first day of what has become known as the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. Notice it gets to us in chapter 19, uh, and there are 24 chapters in this book. So as I've already said, so much of the emphasis of the Gospels is on this last week of Jesus Christ's life. These, all of his life pointed to this week, was about this week. He lived for this week. This passage today begins with the multitudes praising him as king. As king. You know, I can find only one place in all the gospels where any person from Israel calls Jesus king up to this time. And wh- that was when Nathanael was called by him. And Jesus came to him and he said, Surely, Rabbi, you are the king Christ, the king of Israel. The only one time. What in the world is a king? You know, we Americans, we don't have a great grasp on a king. We don't have a king, do we? Uh, uh, we, we, don't, we, we have not grown up under that concept. We threw off the king back in the Revolutionary War. Uh, what is a king? What, and what kind of a king is Jesus? That's really the title of my sermon this morning. What kind of king is Jesus? Uh, in the context of Jesus' day, though, they knew what a king was. They knew what kings were all around them in, the, in their place among their people and among the peoples and the countries that surrounded and across the world. They understood what a king was. A king was sovereign. He had control over people's lives in his kingdom. He was in charge. Kings were often, almost always, conquerors of their enemies. They went out to defeat people. And when they defeated their enemies, they became conquerors of their subjects. In other words, the people they conquered become, they came under their rule. They came under their sovereignty. And I've already used the word, word, not only were they sovereign and conquerors, But they ruled. Their word was law. Their word was law. And they ruled over what? Their domain. This is my country. These are my people. They ruled over their domain. And you know, one day, Jesus will be every bit that kind of king when he comes the second time. In the book of the Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 talks about that time when he's that kind of king. The Bible says, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress with fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John Piper says when the When the kingship of Jesus appears in the skies like that, it will be too late to switch sides. If he's not already your king, he will not be your king. He will only be your judge. You will only know the wrath of our king. This is the second coming of Jesus' life. As a matter of fact, I want to say something to you, you maybe never thought about a lot. We, we talk about Jesus coming again, the second coming. We talk about a lot about the first coming, the first advent, the birth of Jesus Christ, His first coming, His second coming. We love to study these things. But you know, you cannot study the first and second coming of Jesus Christ without studying it on the platform of His kingship, His kingdom. He came the first time as a king. He's coming the second time as a king. But he was a different kind of king. You have to understand it that way. You have to know it to be a a good witness in this world. To explain to other people about Jesus and what he's doing today. He was a different kind of king. But he's going to be a different kind of king when he comes again. Amen. You have to understand the kingship of Jesus Christ. You see, in his first coming, he didn't come riding on a white horse with fine vestures and with a rod of, uh, of iron in his hand. How did he come? We saw today in this passage, he came riding on a donkey. He came as a babe in the manger. self provessed he came meek. And lowly. He was gentle. He was seeking. He was Isaiah's suffering servant. He was John the Baptist, Lamb of God. But watch this, he was still king. He was still sovereign. I appreciate the other night, I don't know if it was Mike Stone or who, I think it was Mike Stone who said, God is sovereign over our sorrows, He's sovereign over everything. Don't think whatever happens in your life... God's lost control. He never loses control. And Jesus never loses control. He's still sovereign. And He's still a conqueror today. But you see, today He has different enemies. The enemies today that He conquers are sin, hell, death... And the grave. And the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, defeated them all. He's still a conqueror. And he still rules. He still rules. But what has happened, his domain is different. He told Pilate when he asked him over and over again, at least five times, Are you a king? He says, what you need to understand, you keep... Well, I'm paraphrasing, all right? This is Ken Polk's Standard Revised Version. Um, but, but, but he said, what you need to understand, this world is not my domain. My domain today is the hearts and minds of people. I want to be the king of people's hearts. I am the king in their hearts my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said in John eighteen thirty six. This is the kind of king Jesus is today. This is God's king. So with that theme, what kind of king is Jesus? I want to look at this passage. I want to look at this day. I want to look at this first day. I want to look at Palm Sunday and bring out some thoughts and... Ask God to give me grace as we move along. And I'll break it out this way. Number one, I want you to see God's king predicted, prophesied. In verses 28 through 36, you see that where it says Jesus comes to Bethany, Bethpage, and he sends his disciples, said, go get this, the little colt, the donkey, and bring it here and whatnot. Uh, he says, "I want you. I want you to bring it here." But you know this: Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on this day. Did you know? At least three times in the Book of Luke, Jesus predicted he was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to die. He was going to suffer. He was going to be buried and he was going to rise again. He knew everything. He predicted it himself. And if you, in my Bible, I just turn over a page to chapter 18 and verse 31 through 34, the last time Jesus predicted it. He said, Then he took. unto him the twelve and said unto them behold we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished for he shall be delivered into the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully treated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death and on the third day he shall rise again. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He uh, He was prophet priest and king. He joined the prophets of old and said, I know what's going to happen. I know where I'm going. And we find in this passage of scripture, one of those great fulfillments of prophecy. What happened on Palm Sunday is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the King cometh unto thee, and he is just, or righteous." And having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt of the foal of a donkey or an ass. The perfect fulfillment of prophecy. And like I said a few moments ago in verse 32, it says as those disciples went and went to get that little colt, it happened exactly like Jesus said it was going to happen. Before I leave this point about the the king predicted the prophecy of the Old Testament, the prophecy of Jesus Christ. I, God just kind of put a note and a thought in my mind about this, and it all comes down to what a lot of people debate about: uh, Do you believe the fact that those disciples went to get that little donkey colt the, that uh, that was just that was a miracle? I mean, I, when's the last time somebody came to your house and hauled something off, and you, didn't, and you just let them go? Said, so the Lord have need of it. Uh, that'd be a way to make a living, wouldn't it? The Lord have need of it. Uh, uh, and they just let them go. Uh, uh, some people say, well, that was a miracle. And you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with all together. It is fulfilled prophecy. But I'm one, as I've studied this, I am one who believes that Jesus had prearranged this. And you want to tell you why? Because Jesus was driven by the truth of the Word of God. And he knew he was supposed to come into town on that cold. He knew the Bible said he was coming. And he was going to do it just like the Word of God had prophesied. He had a word. He had a word from God. And I, I believe he, that's just me, okay? I don't have chapter and verse on that, but I believe, I believe he prearranged it. I believe Jesus set it all, all up. Every detail, line for line, because he wanted it to be in line with the word of God. See, Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the king. And he knew he was supposed to do it this way. And what came to my heart and mind was, is the part the word plays in all our lives if we're the children of God. Do you understand me? Yep. God has a plan for your life. The king is sovereign and in control. Did I do something? What's that hum? That's what? It's a projector it's fan. It's not blowing on me. Uh, uh, God has a plan for your life. God is sovereign and in control, but He means the word to have such a part of your life. Did you? The word of God. God has a word for your life. Psalm one nineteen. Uh, 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You, you, You quote those verses so often, but you see, it keeps saying the word is for me. It is for me. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God is pure, which really means every word of God is going to prove just right in my life. Just like Jesus said it's going to prove just right when he fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah. And what I mean by this is this. And listen to me. The king uses the word in our lives. Jesus uses the word. And I here's something I want to share with you today. I don't know if you've ever been told this. You know, the word of God, like the men reminded us over and over again this weekend, is inspired, infallible, inerrant in every way. It's God's Word cover to cover. It's not, it doesn't contain His Word. It is His Word. Uh, the Word of God comes to us in precept. In other words, this is what you need to do. It comes to us in principle. Here are examples we need to follow. But did you know the Word of God could come to you personally? In other, you don't know you just don't know how many copies of this book I have where I've written in the margins. By the way, uh, I hope that doesn't bother you. I do write in my Bibles. Uh, and uh, we don't do any damage to our Bibles by writing in here. We do damage to the Bibles by not hiding it in here. Um, but how many times I've written where God gave me a word that day I had been praying about something, searching for something. I tell you, I don't even know if Diana knows this story fully. But the, I was struggling one time whether I was supposed to stay in the ministry. I, we'd gone to a plant a church in Murfreesboro. We st- we were still meeting in a high school, setting up chairs every week and tearing, putting them up and tearing them down and putting up portable stages and whatnot. We, you know, we've been there for several years and still it only grown to about a hundred, maybe 125 people, whatnot, maybe 150. I don't know at that time. But I was really struggling. That I really missed my calling. Is this what I, God should I be doing something else? There's other things I could be doing and whatnot, but I got away and I got away with nothing else but my Bible. Me, God, and the Bible. And I'll never forget, I have have that Bible. I still have it. It's torn up and and kind of tattered and whatnot. But I but I wrote the date. And I wrote the scripture that day. It said, God told me today, this is my call. This is my place. This is my time. I'm just going to move forward till he turns me in another direction. Yeah. And he gave it to me in the word. Yeah. Do you ever dwell in the word long enough to believe that the king who rules the world... And rules in the word can rule in your life. Give you a word. Yes. Let me tell you, don't ju- go to Sunday school. Go to preaching. Uh, go to your small groups and, and, and weekday Bible studies and everything else. But be the kind of person that says, I'm I need to hear from God and I want to hear from His Word. Spend time there till God gives you a personal word. God doesn't speak to us only by answering prayer. He speaks to us in a personal way through His Word. You see, that's just something. He uh, said, Well, how did you get all that from that, from the Palm Sunday, Brother Ken? Yeah, that's why you, God calls you to preach. You can get things from anything. Um, <laughs> ask Tommy Steele, right? No matter what patches you That's the King predicted. Now, let's look at God's King rejected. That's what this passage is about, right? Rejection. It all begins on Sunday. The Savior rejected. Jesus has come to his hour. We mentioned that last week. The fulfillment of his life's purpose on earth is right before him. His passion week has begun. This week, these days involve everything he has ever lived for. He comes in direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He comes in seeming delight of the common people expecting their king, crying out to him. He comes right in the face of the religious leaders. I'm tell you, I, Folks, I tell you, Jesus knew he was inciting them to kill him. He knew it. But he would be king. While his theme that week was redemption, his enemy's theme was rejection. We don't want him. Why did they reject Jesus? Because he was not their kind of king. They wanted a king. Just like Israel of old wanted a king, they picked Saul too soon. They wanted a king, but he was not their kind of king. To talk about the rejection of Jesus Christ, the king rejected, to fully appreciate how Jesus suffered rejection, we might first push forward a little bit to the end of the Passion Week and pick up some others besides those that are in this passage. And you'll know why in a moment. Because I first want to say to you, Jesus was not Rome's kind of king. He was not the world's kind of king, and today he's not the world's kind of king. Do you recall, I read just a little bit about it a few moments ago in Jesus' prediction in Luke chapter 18, the shame, abuse, the belittling level against Jesus by the Roman soldiers, how they spit on him, plucked his beard, put a crown of thorns on him, put a reed in his hand, smote him and said, prophesy. You know, you remember all that, don't you? Calling him king. But you know what that was all about? They were scorning the Jews. They were scorning Jesus. They were showing what they believed, how weak he was, how worthless he was, how unkingly he was. And they they were saying to the Jewish people, this is the kind of king you deserve. This is the kind of king you deserve, not like our Caesar. Then recall Pilate. I told you five times he called Jesus king. And he determined to put a sign above the cross that this is the king of the Jews. You remember that? And the Jews said, well, why don't you put up there, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. But do you know, his reason too, just like those soldiers was this, I'm telling the world, this weak, dying, worthless man on a cross, this is the kind of king you Jews deserve. You follow that? That was his message. That was his rejection. Still always, today, the world will say to us, this is the kind of king you deserve. You small-minded, weak, emotional Christians... You, this is the kind of king you deserve, this Jesus. You deserve this kind of religion. The world believes they are more powerful. They believe they are stronger emotionally and intellectually. And we can go ahead and worship God, worship Jesus, because he's the kind of king we deserve. I, uh, I was going to say some things, but somebody will accuse me of getting political. And I don't get political. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, because I'll offend somebody I know, uh, but I, you need to know, I've not told y'all this yet. I, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not an Independent. I'm a Baptist uh, preacher, and that's where I land. Uh, but, um, but you know, we, we've got a generation of people that are telling us right now, um, so many of you are are just too weak, and... We know the kind of king, the kind of leadership you need. We know better than you. We can do better than you could do with what you have. That's the reason you ought to give it to us. Do you follow me? You know what that's rooted in? We know we call it socialism. Uh, that's there we go. I got political. We call it socialism. But did you know that socialism is just the grandchild of communism? And Karl Marx said that religion and God are the opiate of the people. They're weak-minded. They're too simple. They can't do it on their own. They need someone more powerful like us that knows better and can do better. You follow me? That's exactly what he taught. He said, he said, we're just getting drunk on our religion. We're so weak. We're so feeble-minded. We're so uneducated. We need someone that's got it to give it to us. Oh, I got to stop. Uh, but they, the world's telling us, they, you need, you deserve the kind of king you got, but we can do better for you. The world's always telling us, you deserve this Jesus, this religion. Says, but we've got something better. We're better, we're bigger, we're stronger, we're more intellectual. Folks, it's wrong. They were wrong back then, they're wrong today. He was not the world's kind of king. He was not the Jewish religious leader's kind of king. You know that, don't you? In verse 39... It says some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And then, in Matthew chapter 21, I'm not going to read it right now, but it's another time when they said, when the children were crying out and praising him, rebuke them, tell them to stop. Do Do you see what they're doing? And Jesus wouldn't do it. You know, most recognize Jesus was not the Pharisees, the religious leaders, kind of king. Because they did want a powerful, political, conquering, earthly king to overthrow Rome. And they felt like they would have position and power in that kingdom. Because they already had some of the people, right? They already had position. They didn't feel like their their positions were threatened. But Jesus threatened them. He threatened them. We know he was not their kind of king. Because they wanted this political earthly king. But today, I don't know if this will be a revelation to you or not. Or new to you or not. But there was a bigger reason. We we always kind of plant there. And and, and we tell the truth. It's the truth. The the religious leaders wanted a political king to overthrow Rome. That, That is right. And it's always right to say it. But, I'm, but I believe more so they rejected Him because He was not the kind of king they wanted because He was the kind of king that demanded to be the king of their hearts. Amen. You know, if a preacher says something, you ought to be able to prove it. Amen? Can I do it with the Bible? Matthew chapter three. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "What repent, for the what kingdom of heaven is at hand." What was the whole ministry of John the Baptist to prepare the way of what the King? The kingdom is coming. God, watch this. God's kind of king, right? God's kind of king, the kind of king Jesus is today. Here comes the king. That make a song. One. Here comes the king. Uh, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment. He tells about his camel hair and all, and about baptizing people uh, for their sins. To go to verse 7. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, what is that? It's those religious leaders, right? Those people that kept rebuking. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, what? Oh generation of vipers. Can I give you an interpretation of that? Bunch of snakes in the grass. John about. Boy, that's that's some kind of preaching. When's the last time you got called snakes in the grass? He says, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And watch this. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, for repentance and thing not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our, to, to our father for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Stop listen John the Baptist says the king is coming right repent for here comes the kingdom it says and what has to happen for you to receive the kingdom is to repent and give the king control of your heart he wants, that's his domain. That's where he wants to rule. And he said, I know you guys, you say, we're 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 in this thing by birth. We're we're Abraham's children. And, and John the Baptist says says, God can make Jews out of rocks. He he don't need you just because you're Abraham's children, says, but what he wants to do, he wants to rule in your heart. That's the kind of king he wants to be. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they rejected a spiritual king. You follow me? It was, see, he wasn't their kind of king. He wasn't a political king. He wasn't an earthly king. He was a spiritual king, king of the heart, king of their lives, king of those who would repent and turn from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. You follow me? That's why they rejected him. They felt no need for that kind of king that would conquer sin in their lives, change their lives, rule in their lives from within. They would welcome a king to sit on David's throne, but they refused to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of their hearts. Yeah. Now, there's more rejectors. He was not the multitude's kind of king. So, Brother Ken, they were shouting Hosanna to the king and whatnot. Uh, someday you need to move forward and look over in Mark chapter 15 where the same word multitudes, this same group of people were crying what? Crucify him. Because you know what happened? He turned out to be not their kind of king. He's not our kind of king. At first glance it would appear that they received Jesus as king, but they didn't. With the same zeal and passion they cried Hosanna, they cried crucify Him. The people were as wrong as their leaders. Jesus was not their kind of king. They had enthusiastically and outwardly accepted Him, but they never accepted Him for the kind of king He is. Sovereign, Lord of life, who delivers us from sin and conquers our hearts. That's the kind of king He is. Well, before I leave this point... And it was the biggest point. It was the most material. Um, are y'all going to be upset if, uh, if you miss a, just a, a little lady cracker barrel, or Demas and Rising Sun, or what, what's it called over there? Uh, <laughs> uh, sunrise Cafe, Sunrise. Whatever. Uh, listen to me how hey, you listen to preachers all week long preaching an hour. Some of you did. Somebody said, that's the reason I didn't come. I, Uh, What kind of king is Jesus to you? It's all important. It's all important. And I thought thought about some of the kings I see today. Is he a cruel king to you? Like the Ayatollahs, who seem to be a constant threat to both of their enemies and even their own people? A cruel God in heaven? Listen to me. My Jesus did not come to slay us. He came to save us. A lot of people are looking for what I call a cash king. Real quickly, John chapter 6. I'm not going to read it right now. Do you remember John 6 has so much in it. First, it begins with the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men. At least, that's just at least 5,000 people. Um, And he later on tells the people the purpose of his miracle was to, uh, that they might understand he's the bread of life. And then some of them came to him late. They wanted to make him king right away. And he ran from them. And he said, the only reason you want this is not because you saw the miracle and you saw the divine in me, deity in me. You want more bread. You want a perpetual bread line. You want a cash king. You want somebody that's going to do something for you, give you something all your life. They wanted a Santa Claus savior, not a spiritual king. Jesus even told them that, you know, they talked about Moses bringing manna for heaven. And, you know, Jesus reminded them, that manna came down and it spoiled in one day. It was physical. It was of this earth. He said, but look, I'm, I am bread of the bread of heaven. Take me in. Let me be the king of your hearts. Amen. He said, you know, but you see, we, if there's anything I look around and see in Christianity, in evangelical Christianity today, it's all these preachers telling me that Jesus is a cash king. I could preach a series on that. I see celebrity kings. You're, that's what kings are pretty much to us the British royal family is probably the closest thing to us in it what do they do man sit around and watch their interest grow yeah. buy another castle another fancy car have another baby and everybody said, did you see the baby why'd they name him why'd they name her how far are they from the throne they're celebrities they're real but they're not really real they fascinate us, but they're actually fantasy. Queen Elizabeth and Buckingham Palace are not far from Cinderella and her castle. It's just something to be fascinated. And, we, and, some, and some people call themselves Christians who made the Bible their storybook. When you need truth about real relationships, real life changes real walk with God, you're so far from it because Jesus is not your kind of king. There's, this is a Ken Polk one right here. I call it the culture king. You know what I, You know where I get culture king? God and country. Now, some of you looking at Listen, you ain't going to never have a greater patriot in this pulpit than Ken Polk. You can ask my wife. Uh, I, I am, I am a patriot. I love my country. I really do, and I appreciate so many things that happened in the early days of our nation, uh, and the principles that were instilled there. I am, but but I see in our culture this God and country. We are a Christian nation. I said, I said, really? Uh, let me illustrate. This is where I said you're gonna miss lunch. 30, 40 years ago, a new Christian going out on visitation, Park Avenue Baptist Church, where I was a member in West Nashville. I go out with a deacon and we we get the card. We go out, knock on the door. They open the door. (laughs) I tell you, the smoke is so thick I thought I could swim in it. Uh, But we make our way in and this guy comes out of the side room. Looks like they, I mean, looks like they kicked him out of Woodstock. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 Colt 45 cans laying all around and whatnot, but said, you know, God called us out to witness. And so we sat down, and the man I was with today was a good soul winner. I was early in my Christian life, so I was kind of just praying. Praying for him and whatnot. Never, never could get an answer about if he'd ever had a time when he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Couldn't tell you anything about the gospel. Didn't, know, didn't even understand what we're talking about. We're talking about repenting of your sins and trusting Jesus coming into your life. N- never goes to church. Never goes to church. Doesn't have anything to do with God. But then the, the deacon finally says, what we want to know is, are you are you a Christian? He said, "Why? Yeah." He said, "I know the good Lord." He used that good Lord, I know 32 times. The good Lord, the good Lord's always been with me. I mean, the good Lord, he's he's taking care of us through the years. Yes, I just the good Lord, the good Lord, the good Lord. He said, "Good Lord," I don't know how many times. I tell you, he had a culture king. He had heard that in this Bible Belt South about the good Lord. That wouldn't even work in New York City. Uh, the good Lord. And I told the Dicky when I got in the car, I said, have you heard that new Chevy commercial? Now, I'm going to date myself. You ready? I'm going to date myself. If some, even probably not 1% of you as old as me on this one. Years ago, Chevy had a commercial. They were trying to make people see how all American. Chevrolet was. Are you ready? And they had a jingle. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. You see, you're just not a good American if you don't have a Chevrolet. And I told that Dinkins, that guy reminded me of baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and the good Lord. You're just not American. You don't know where you're at if you don't know the good Lord. He didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the king I know. Had no notion of him. But that was his kind of king. I tell you, Jesus is not some kind of folksy, all-American king. He is the king. He causes you to turn from sin, turn to him, and then by faith install him on the throne of your heart by crying out and singing out, you are my king, Jesus. You are my king. I got to go on. Now I'm going to be done. My, third, my fourth point so quick. It'll scare you. God's king exalted. Do you see him praising Jesus? And Jesus, they said, stop them, stop them. He says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. I believe that literally. And I also believe the exalted king was saying, you rejecters have hearts that are colder than stones. Because I will be praised. My conclusion, how many times the preachers this week say that? I'm bringing it home. I'm wrapping it up. I'm telling the truth. This is my conclusion. You want me to give you a summary of this passage about what kind of king Jesus is and what kind of king Jesus is to you? Jesus lets us know as he closes out, it makes him cry to know he is not the kind of king that people want. That's why he cried over Jerusalem. What's the only other time Jesus cried in the Bible? At the grave of Lazarus. But he cries here, why? Because they, they won't let me be the kind of king they need. They won't let me be the king of their hearts. As a pastor, I have uh, ministered and served many families and Diane and I ourselves have gone through our time working with families that are facing the disease of Alzheimer's and dementia. And as I minister to people in a family of one of those patients or as I minister to one of the caregivers, family members of that patient, I see them tired. They're some of the most tired people that, that I see those who serve those patients. They're tired and worn from the struggle. And if I have the opportunity to see them serving those people that are suffering from the disease, I see such gentleness, such caring, the way they talk to them. Most of us would almost be dismissive and not want to talk to them at all. But they know how to talk to them, speak to them, Listen to them. If I hear the word dear once, I hear it a thousand times. Dear, I'm here, dear. It's over there, hon. Gentle, loving. But here's something I almost always hear. Brother Ken, I think they know me. I think they still know who I am. There are times when they call my name. And then I'll hear at other times, Brother Ken, they don't even know me anymore. They don't know who I am. And it always comes with, you know what? With tears. They don't know who I am. They don't know how I serve them. They don't know how I'm here every day. They don't know how I love them and what I'm actually doing for them day in and day out. Jesus comes and he looks over Jerusalem and says, They don't know! They don't know me! (laughs) They don't know me! They don't know what kind of king I am! They don't know what I've done for them! They don't know how much I love them! They don't know how much I can change them, how much I can be a part of their lives. They don't know me. Yeah. And he cried. I'm telling you, my friend, Jesus, it makes him cry that he is not the kind of king you want him to be in, his life, in your life. Make him your king.